Ever notice how Jesus has terrible slogans? Ever notice that? Just terrible slogans, things that you would not want to put on a bumper sticker if you really, you know, thought them through and were encountering them for the first time. Um, he who wishes to be greatest of all must be servant of all. Well, that stinks. Because what's the point of being greatest of all if you have to serve everybody? The point of being greatest of all is to have everybody serve you. That's a bad slogan. It's a wonder this thing has lasted for 2,000 years. Uh, but here's, here's, the, here's the killer. Those who wish to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. If you want to save your life, you got to lose it. It's a bad slogan. What football team would take the field shouting, Let's lose! Uh, but it seems to be what, what uh, Jesus is, is recommending. Uh, of course, there are deep purposes and meanings to these sorts of slogans. They're meant to be challenging and a little bit paradoxical to kind of get us to think, get outside of the box and understand what's really going on in this life of love and sacrifice. Those who wish to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. I mean, you find that in all the, almost all the Gospels, you know, Mark 8 and Matthew 16 and Luke 9. It's right, it's right near where he says, uh, those who wish to follow me must pick up their cross daily and follow me. It's like, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to get in on this life, you need to pick up your electric chair and bring it with you because the cross was an instrument of torture and death. Woohoo! Jesus would not have survived on the Tony Robbins inspirational speaking circuit. There's uh, a reason when he died, his church was about 120 people max. You know, it's like, he's a tough guy to follow. Uh, what does that mean, though? If you want to save your life, how many of you want to save your life? How many of you want life to kind of continue? Anyone? Anyone? All right. So, what does it mean that you have to lose it? What does that mean exactly? Because I usually don't get past the first bit. I want to save my life. Jesus saves. I'm good. What does it mean that you have to, you have to lose it? Deny the things that you've always held on to. Well, maybe not all the things, uh, but there are some things. Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me is the full rendering of that verse. So, you know, deny some of your selfish desires anyway. Uh, Here's a warm-up question. It's, it's, a, it's a corollary. It's a derivative. Uh, what do you have to lose? I've asked that question before. What do you have to lose? I'm, your ego? Anybody have an ego? To lose your ego? All right, I have an ego to lose. What's that? If you believe you've got nothing to lose, You've got to have something to lose because evidently losing it is how you save it. Um, but, but we're playing with words now, aren't we? Control. You can lose control. What don't you want to lose? That's probably a better question, right? You don't want to lose your faith. It's probably not something Jesus wants us to lose. I don't know, all provocative questions. We're in this sermon series. 
uh, on the battle of the mind. Uh, you know, the battle of the mind is a faith versus fear uh, sort of battle. When your mindset is, when your mind is set in the sort of faith that expects victory always, you'll always win eventually. At least where Jesus uh, is concerned. Uh, it, it's the mindset of trust. It's right and it's powerful. It's, it's worship. When you always think, God and I are going to do something great with this. God and I are going to do something great with this circumstances. God and I are going to do something great with this situation, with this success, with this loss, whatever it is. When you can always think that, then you have the mindset of faith. And Jesus says that that is the mindset that we want to fight for. That's the mindset that always wins the day. Uh, Jesus talks about the mindset of faith constantly throughout the Gospels in, in different ways, in different places. He says that if you have enough faith, you can move a mountain. If you have enough faith, you can take to this tree. Get up and move, and the tree will listen to you. Nine times in the Gospel, he says to someone after a healing miracle, your faith has healed you. It's like your faith, your mindset of faith is what allowed that to happen. Congratulations. That's awesome. Uh, when Peter sinks in the waves, uh, after walking on water, Jesus pulls him out and said, what happened to your faith? Ye of little faith, you were doing so well, and then you got afraid instead of getting your faith on. You know, faith, you can walk on water. That should be your expectation. When we have mature faith, faith it rests in the nature of God, not in the circumstance we find ourselves in with God. So if you need a financial breakthrough, well, if your faith rests in the nature of God as a provider, you have no problem. If your faith sort of rests in the situation, is God, is God going to provide here? Is it going to happen? You know, you're not sure what the nature of God is. Well, then you're wishy-washy. Then you might have a mindset of fear. It's, is God a reluctant boss or is God a very loving father? Which is it? And that tends to really influence your mindset of faith. We have said during this series that the first step is to be aware that the main battle in life is the battle for your mindset. That's always the first battle of any battle, <laughs> is, is the battle for faith. Are you going to freak or are you going to believe? Are you going to have faith or are you going to have fear? That's the primary battle in life. And depending on how that battle goes, it helps you with the rest of the battles of life. And today, uh, we're going to talk about a certain kind of fear. We've talked about um, fear of, of man, fear of what people think of you. Last week, we talked about fear uh, of money, fear of not having enough, and how that really shapes humans, uh, typically. Uh, Jesus talks about it a lot to get, us, to get us out of that fear mindset where money is concerned. And today, I want to talk about what I think one of the other cardinal fears in life is the fear of failure, um, which I think is conquered by a reckless willingness to fail or a reckless willingness to lose. Uh, you could call it a contempt for failure. When, when it looks like you might fail or when it looks like you have failed, what's your attitude? And I think your attitude should be radical contempt for the failure. <laughs> Big deal. Failure. Not even worth my attention. When you have that attitude, well, there's a freedom 
that really makes your mindset of faith thrive. And so that's what, that's what I want to talk about uh, today. Uh, here's another warm-up question. If you were going to pick one word to describe Blue Water's culture, what would that word be? Grace? Radical? Resilient? I can't hear that? Diverse. <laughs> yeah, look around. Uh, nobody has mentioned our church slogan, which is try. Um, all of these words uh, are great. Um, our slogan is try because I think it encapsulates uh, what I'm talking about. If, uh, if you live a life of try, then you get used to failure. We say around here that faith equals trying, right? Because if you're not trying stuff all the time, then something is wrong. And of course, the stuff that we're talking about is, you know, God, God stuff. Um, I think the life of trying things, being willing to try things and just kind of see what happens is the best way to cultivate a contempt for failure. So one of the things that we do at the Blue Water uh, Leaders Banquet, which we have once a year, is that we give a trophy for uh, the best failure of the year. We call it the most spectacular whiff of the year. We want to celebrate failure as much as possible. The thing that makes failure spectacular is if it was worth trying. We, we like to fail as often as possible. Why? Because it means you're trying as often as possible. And if you're trying as often as possible, then you are exercising a mindset of faith instead of a mindset of fear. You know what's not a mindset of faith? Never trying anything. That's safe, and it might look pristine, but it just tells, tells me that, you know, you're stuck in, in a mindset of fear, maybe a fear of failure, something to look out for. Are you trying things all the time? Are you reckless with it? or not. Um, I, I have had this personal experience, uh, I remember learning this lesson when I was young, that a disregard for failure, contempt for failure, when I, when I don't care about failure, um, it brings an interesting sort of power. I remember one summer uh, I learned this, I, it was, um, technically I was still in college, I guess I had just turned 21, and I had gone home uh, for the summer, just to spend, you know, one, one last uh, summer uh, with my family. I lived, uh, my family lived in Southern Oregon, and, uh, and there were, you know, I, I needed to find some sort of summer job, and uh, around there is, just wasn't, wasn't much to do, uh, so I was uh, bopping around uh, the the big town in Southern Oregon, which, you know, was a town of like 35,000 people, uh, it wasn't big. And they had a regional news, TV news station there. Uh, so I just uh, walked into the news station unannounced one day and I kind of walked up to the desk and I said, um, can I get a job here? You know, can you let me be an intern reporter or something like that? And, uh, you know, I had, I, I did not look the part. I was dressed really gobby, uh, Grubby, and back in those days, I had hair like down past my shoulders. 
Okay, now get the image out of your mind. And uh, didn't really look the part. Uh, but the receptionist said, well, I don't know, I'll ask. So she walked the back, she found the news producer, I don't know why, and said, hey, there's this kid here uh, who wants to be an intern reporter or something, wants to help out. And so they called me in, like on the spot, anyway, gave me this job and said, I don't know if I have any money for you. And I said, well, you know, if you find some great, they ended up paying me like minimum wage uh, to work there uh, over the summer. And, and the whole thing was a lark for me. You know, I had done some journalism, you know, way back in the day, and schoolboy journalism, and I'm like, well, it'd be fun, find out how a TV station works. And it was just a regional TV station, sort of Southern Oregon, Northern California sort of thing. It wasn't like the big city, but it was a really high-stress place. And I was the only guy that was never stressed in that news station. And so I kind of became like a guru. I was 21 years old. I had hair past my shoulders. I wore sandals to work. And, and, uh, and, and I, just, I just didn't care. So like most nights of the week, I would work like the evening shift. I would do like the 11 p.m. newscast. And, and then I would sit around for an hour or two after my shift and just counsel people. That news producer ended up like breaking down in tears at my desk one night. I was counseling her about her life. You know, she was 30 years older than I was. But um, all of the news reporters, I ended up leading one of the news reporters to Christ, started going to church with me on Sundays. So, like, it's like incredible. And, and even at the time, I knew this is simply because I'm not stressed. And they are. And I became this glowing beacon of light. One night, the anchor got so stressed, he stormed into the newsroom, and he said, I'm out of here. I can't take this. Jordan, you're in, you're in charge. So I produced the entire evening newscast. I was literally about to walk onto the set and do it myself when he came back in and said, okay, I'm better. I, I, we pinned him up. He sat down, read the copy without having seen it before. Great job. Great job. In situations where everybody is afraid all the time, if you are not afraid, I'm guarantee you, you'll be the most influential person in the group because faith trumps everything else. Everybody in the world is afraid. Everybody in the world is afraid of failing. And if you're not, you become an incredibly powerful person even if you're some young punk kid who doesn't know what he's doing. Lesson of my life. Uh, by contrast, great concern for failure can really mess things up. There's a story, uh, a couple little stories uh, in the back of your program. Um, probably both of them are, are familiar if you've been hanging around churches or hanging around the Bible for any length of time. Matthew 25 is a parable, one of my favorites. Uh, I tell it um, uh, quite often. It's the parable of, of the talents or the bags of gold. Do you know this one? It's a parable that Jesus tells. It's a story that he's telling in order to illustrate some deep principle. And, and the parable, the story goes something like this. Uh, there's this master, there's this landowner, there's this rich dude who's leaving town uh, for some reason. So what he does is he calls some of his chief employees, his chief servants, and he gives them some resources to invest while he's gone. And, uh, you know, to one, he gives like five bags of gold and says, you know, invest that. When I get back, I'll see what you've done with it. And to another, he gives two bags of gold. 
And he says, invest that. When I come back, I'll see what you've done with it. And to one guy, he gives one bag of gold. Now, there are different versions of this parable, uh, but uh, we are told that he gives resources according to uh, the servant's capacities, their ability to handle it, uh, evidently. And so he goes away, and he comes back, and the servant to whom he had given five bags of gold comes to him and says, hey, master, um, here's your five bags of gold. I invested it, and hey, I got 100% return. Here are an additional five bags of gold. And the master says, hey, you're awesome. You've been faithful for this. You know, you get a promotion. And then the guy who received two bags of gold comes and says, hey, master, here are your two bags of gold, and I got 100% return on my investment, so here's an additional two bags of gold. And the master's like, hey, yeah, hi, high fives, you get a promotion, you're awesome. And then, and then the guy who got the one bag of gold, then the man who had received one bag of gold came, master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. So he didn't invest it. He just tried to keep safe. Investment mindset. Safety mindset. So I've kept it safe. I'm awesome. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. It says something slightly worse than that in the original Greek, but very bad judgment. So you knew that I harvest why I have not sown and gather why I have not scattered seed. You knew that I was a hard case. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest, at least, I mean, my goodness. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags, for whoever has more will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, man, Jesus goes off on this attitude that he is describing uh, in, in the parable. One thing that always bothers me about this parable is that there's no failure case here, right? The, the case I would worry about, and this says a lot about me, is like, he gives me five bags of gold, I go and I make some radical investment with it, I make some big try, and I fail, and I lose the money, right? That, that would be what I was afraid of, and indeed, surely that's what the guy who had the one bag of gold was afraid of. Like, well, what if I fail and lose the money? My master is a hard case, he's going to kill me if I screw this up. But the parable never mentions a case of failure, which leads me to believe that Jesus didn't see failure worth any regard at all. It's not even worth mentioning, which just speaks volumes to me. It's like, I don't really care. I mean, if you try and lose, big deal. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. Forget about that. But we don't forget about it. We obsess about it, don't we? What's this parable about? Well, it's not about failure, it's about fear of failure. That's what the parable is about, right? So Jesus, uh, or the master um, in, the, in the story, encounters the servant, servant who was so afraid of failing he would not try, who was so afraid of failing and the repercussions of failure that he just played it safe. 
And he gets thrown out into darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, one gets the impression that this is kind of ultimate judgment. Jesus can't stand fear of failure because it goes directly counter to faith, to the spirit of try. That's what the parable is about. Failure, Jesus doesn't even think that's worth mentioning. That's not, that's not the problem. The problem is fear of failure. And, and that's, what, that's what the parable is, is about. What do you have to lose? Someone might have asked the servant. Uh, and, uh, you know, and he would have fretted about his bag of gold, but the parable says if you're not willing to lose, man, you're going to lose. If you're not willing to lose, you're going to play it safe, and it's not going to go well for you in the end because you won't display any faith. Do you get it? It's the willingness to lose that keeps you from losing. That's the kingdom principle. That's the lesson of, of, of the, uh, the parable. Sometimes fear of failure, I know, is just fear of man. Sometimes fear of failure is just fear of not having enough and stuff like that. But if you think God is a good master, if you think God is not hard, but actually a generous, loving father, then you're not going to worry about the repercussions too much. If you believe God has your back, then you're going to be a reckless individual when it comes to trying. You're not going to be dominated by the fear of failure. You're not going to be afraid of competing. You're not going to be afraid of investing. You're not going to be afraid of getting embarrassed. That's really what's going on here. Here's another story that includes failure. Uh, This is from uh, Luke 5. It's a little bit further down on your program. It's up here on the big board as well. Uh, Luke 5, 1 through 10. And this is a familiar story because it has to do with the calling of Jesus' disciples. Um, Calling some of his, his very first followers. Excuse me. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Um, He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, we know this guy, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. This is like natural. Natural amplification. Sound travels very well over water. He's got the people crowding on land. So Jesus has created a little theater for him here um, and, and is using this guy's boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Um, Simon answered, uh, Master, We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Couple things wrong here. Uh, one, uh, these guys fished at night, which was very typical. And so, you know, they pull their boats to shore. They're cleaning their net, which is very laborious in itself. Jesus very rudely gets in the boat and says, Put out. I know you're tired. I know you've worked the graveyard shift, but, you know, put out a little bit. And then he says, Put out into the deep water and do it all over again dot, 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 even though you're exhausted, even though you failed all night long. I mean, you ever worked all night at some physical labor? You know, you're exhausted, you're grumpy. 
And then Jesus says, put out in deep water, which is not how you fish with nets. You don't do that in deep water. Uh, you do it at, in shallow water. Uh, usually you do it where the deep water becomes shallow, right, where the shelf is, because that's where the fish congregate. So Jesus, lots of rudeness, lots of really bad advice Jesus is giving him. Plus, Peter says, Peter, a professional fisherman, says, look, we've been at this all night, you know, the fish aren't here, you know, so you just imagine uh, the scenario. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now they've got another problem, but a good problem. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man, which is an interesting reaction, isn't it? It's like, I'm a sinner. Or if you, if you will. I'm a failure. Just don't even look at me. I feel ashamed. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Yeah. And, and so were James and John's, the sons of Zebedee, uh, Simon's partners. So all the early chief disciples were there. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Jesus always zeroes in on the problem. In this case, the problem is fear. From now on, you will fish for people. Uh, you will be fishers of men. That's how the old translations put it. It's like, I've got a different job for you. Make sure that you're not afraid because you're afraid. You'll be afraid to try at that. Just like you were afraid to try when I told you to go fish, uh, but you persevered here. You'll persevere there. It'll be okay, Simon. Interesting story. This story has an echo in John 21, uh, which is a story that, that Ben preached on several weeks ago. And this was after Jesus' resurrection. The boys are out fishing in the lake. Jesus comes and stands on the beach. Do you remember this story? And says, hey, throw out your nets over here. And they do it, even though they hadn't caught anything all night. And they catch this massive load of fish. And Jesus, or Peter says at that point, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. Stories like this teach us that Jesus is, isn't just the Lord of trying, that Jesus is the Lord of trying again. That's his signature. That's how Peter can always tell. <laughs> you know, it's like, because you say so. <laughs> Jesus is, the sort of faith he preaches is the sort of faith that empowers you to try again, even when everything has gone wrong, even when you feel exhausted and bankrupted. The big line in this story is, because you say so, you can turn it into a personal proverb if you want. Do you do things because you're assured of success? Do you do things because you're guaranteed that you can't fail? Or do you do things because they're the right things to do? Do you do things because God has told you to do such things? Great discipleship principle there. At some point in your life, obedience has to become greater than expectation. Expectation is great, but even if your faith has failed you, obey, and it will lead you into the right places. Contempt for failure. Even if you're pretty sure you will fail, but you think it's the right thing to do, do it anyway. Contempt uh, for failure. Are you getting a feel for the sort of attitude that Jesus preaches? What it means to have contempt for failure? Turn to the person next to you and say something like, failure is contemptible. Or if that's a big word, 
Failure sucks. Or failure, what? Whatever. A lot of times in life, we get traumatized by failure. And here's, here's the rub. A lot of times in life, we get traumatized by disappointment. Things don't go well, and we get stuck in life as a result because there's nothing worse than being a failure. So the theory goes. We get traumatized by failing, and it is such a powerful experience for us that we vow to never try again, or we vow to never try quite like that again. We start to play it safe because it turns out that failure is an option. Who knew? Well, we kind of all knew. That's why we're afraid. And God is not giving you a guarantee. He's not saying that you will never fail in life. He's just telling you that you're not allowed to ever quit in life. That's what he's saying. If failure were not an option, then faith wouldn't be a requirement. You know, there's got to be some uncertainty. It's just that failure is not that big a deal. Maybe you, maybe you prayed really hard that God would heal a loved one and it didn't work out. That can be so traumatic. That can be so traumatic. You know, you'll certainly never pray to heal someone again. Or you'll never get that attached again. Or you'll never trust God like that again. You'll never make yourself vulnerable like that again. And I know dang well that there are a lot of people in this place that have been in that position because we try so hard uh, to execute the ministry of healing uh, around the world. I had this friend of mine who got fired from a job uh, when he was about 30, I guess, never looked for a job again because the failure was so incredibly traumatic. Just the disappointment, the injustice, the victimization completely stuck to this day has never looked for uh, another job. Or maybe you tried something and you got embarrassed, you know, and people mistreated you uh, because of, of your failure, and you're never going to put yourself in that position again. Never. You learned your lesson. Well, you learned a lesson. It wasn't God's lesson. It'd be so traumatic, embarrassment, you know, which is sort of a version of fear of man. Um, Maybe, maybe it wasn't you that failed. Maybe somebody failed you. Maybe you trusted someone and in some fashion they let you down. And you can't forget it. You certainly can't forgive it. So you are as stuck as stuck can be. You've got a gaping hole in your faith right there. It has to do with trusting people and relationships and stuff like that. So you are dead in the water because failure dominates, you know? In these cases, maybe failure doesn't really prevent you from living. It doesn't prevent you from having faith, but it edits your life. It edits your faith in such a way that you're not really living a life of try. You're not living a life of, of, of recklessness and boldness and stuff like that. You have been reduced and that's what failure does. It reduces you. It causes you to play it safe instead of being aggressive or obedient, living large. That's what it does. Failure can be incredibly traumatic, which is why we celebrate it around here, why we celebrate it. 
Um, why we say, well, that's a good try, and really mean it. That was a good try. That was a life-giving try, even if it fails. And I'll tell you what, if your failure is big enough, I'll give you a trophy. You get most spectacular whiff of the year, because the point is not to avoid failure. The point is to try with faith. That's the point. Even worse than these scenarios, maybe you don't have any big failure stories because you've never been willing to try. You've never been willing to put your life out there. Is there anyone who doesn't have a big story of failure, massive embarrassment, massive failure trauma? Anybody out there that doesn't have a big story like that? If there is, man, I kind of feel sorry for you. You're missing out. You're missing out. What kind of a small life are you leading that you don't have any big embarrassing stories? What a shame. Jesus has something better for you, you know? And the more willing you are to lose, the more resources he can entrust you with, evidently. It seems like that's the capacity that he tracks. So, uh, got to get used to failure. You got to get used to it. Uh, one, of your, one of your goals uh, this year might be to fail more, option, more, more often. You know, failure is an option. Quitting isn't. Gather some good failure stories to share. Um, got to get used to it because the only way to not fear failure is to encounter it and find that it's no big deal. It's to get through it. Otherwise, it's just the boogeyman in the bushes. Um, <clears throat> failure's been a big part of my life. Um, I won't go into this now, but perhaps you've heard me say, in my life, God has always moved me forward through failure. Failure has been the mechanism that has gotten me to the next season, <laughs> uh, the big changes uh, in my life. Uh, so I've learned a little bit about, you know, the mindset, the attitude that it takes to kind of not be afraid of, of failing, failing, and, uh, you know, I've I'm doing much better at that uh, than I used to. Uh, and, and I don't really know how to encapsulate contempt for failure in an attitude, but maybe I can do something to kind of give you an idea of the flavor of it, you know, in sort of an intuitive, impressionistic sort of way. Uh, number one, I try to live life like a dead man walking. Jesus isn't the only one who's bad at slogans. He says, you got to be willing to lose your life. I mean, like, what, what, what are you afraid of that you can't try to do this thing that may very well blow up in your face? You know, but if you're, if you're, if you're dead, you know, if it's like, I'm not living for this life, you know, I mean, I'm over that. I'm living for the next life. You know, dead men, dead men don't care what people think of them. Dead men don't care about ego or reputation or track record or anything like that. You know, dead men just have experiences and learn and do the best that they can and move on. I'm probably stretching that metaphor too far. I'm thinking of zombies now. But, you know, <laughs> but, but you get my point. It's like you have to choose what to be dead to. And, and, and I've, I've tried that. It's like, yeah, you know, that fear of what people think of me. I'm going to be dead to that. 
going to be dead to it. I'm going to serve contempt for it, disregard for it, you know? And get some big failures under my belt to help me along the way. Some great failure stories. Um, anyway, I don't know if that's fruitful for you, uh, but that meditation is like, well, what is, what is it like to live like a dead man? Uh, that was the meditation that led to me getting delivered from suicidal depression back in the day. Like, there are things that I can care about and there are things to which I must be dead. Save my life. Wait a minute, that's exactly what Jesus said it would do. If you lose your life, you'll find life. I'm standing here today because that is true. Uh, that's true. And then, you know, the, this, I'm talking about contempt for failure, and the best way I can sort of characterize that for you is, is to say that to me it feels like a little, a little bit of a rebellion. Failure is a spirit that thinks it owns the world. Pardon my language. To hell with that. Rebellion, you know? It's like you have to have this sort of rebellious attitude. It's like, no. I will punch that in the face every opportunity I get. And that's, that's the only way to kind of free yourself from this domineering fear. You know, that is a hellish idea. To hell it should return. You can't live life like that. You can't live. So that's what I mean by contempt, contempt for fear. Uh, amen? Um, what failure are you afraid of? Well, Heavenly Father, uh, we pray for a move of freedom uh, in the room uh, this morning. I pray that in place of fear of failure, you would give us contempt for failure, that you would give us the reckless attitude of faith, that you would give us a mindset uh, to try. And that indeed, that would make us feel larger, feel more powerful, feel more magnetic, all of which is likely true. Come, Lord. Uh, work with us today. <clears throat> Make us fearless people in a world that is craving the mindset of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.